I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. I'm taking my time. All I could talk in is starting to rhyme. I'm letting go lonely, letting go of strife. I just can't get enough of this beautiful life. The Enneagram. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us to look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We are going to talk about a man who likes to eat things today. Hooray! I love eating things. Is apparently a, a gourmet cook. <laughs> now, I have seen you make some gourmet brews. Sure. I do not know this about your uh, food uh, preparation skills. Sure. Uh, when you're going gourmet, mm-hmm. when it's time, it's time to break out the best recipe. Yeah. Where are you going? Well, I... I like to cook, but I'm not particularly fancy at cooking. I really like baking, though. Oh, that's right. I do know this. Yeah, I've 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 been like my grandmother was a big baker, and like I learned a lot of things from her. So like I spend I spend a lot of time baking. Like that's one thing that I've done a lot of within the pandemic. Is it's my comfort thing. Is that like when I bake, it calms me down. Mm. Uh, so I have a handful of recipes that I work with and I, I, I have this cake book that is, is all these really crazy fancy cakes, but you start from really minimal ingredients and then you like just build on to the fanciness. Mm-hmm. So I've made some pretty impressive cakes over the last few months. We know the lady who did, uh, what is it? Cake boss cake. Oh, sure. uh, there was a show about cakes. Yeah. Talk to her all about the, the uh-huh, fact that uh-huh. in real life, nobody ever drops a cake. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, that's not a real thing. But, but this is clearly part of that show. I got nothing on cakes. I've, I've, I have yet to bake anything. I actually think I'm a good cook and I've never, I don't think I've ever baked anything. Sure. So anyway. The, baking is fun. I love baking. It's, it seems it's, like it would be fun. It's math. It's math. That's a yeah. good way to think of it. Cooking is right, art. Math. Baking is math. <laughs> so. I have no gourmet, but I make average things real well. Sure. Our, half of our town, both TJ and I are white guys. Half of our town is Latinx. There are a handful of fantastic grocery stores that specialize in spices nearby. And so when, when making Mexican food, ah, just got a wealth of material to choose from here locally. So yeah. my enchiladas, there I'm... Enchiladas and, and tacos. I can, I can, I can bring the heat. There you go. Um, hey TJ, did you know we have spent eight straight weeks in the Heart Triad? Eight. Talking about villains, oh, and t- talking to Sean, and talking to Hunter, and talking to Suzanne. All Heart Triad folks. Yeah. But today we take a big step out of the heart okay. into the head. There we go. Okay. Today we are talking about villainous fives. We are going to uh, be here for a few weeks. <laughs> now we're going to be in the head, maybe through the end of the year. Yeah. Well, probably not. 
Maybe for a month or two. And the end of the year is not that far away. We got three villains to talk to and no experts. There we go. What's skinny on the head triad? So uh, head triad is, um, this is people who take in and process the world through their head center. Everyone thinks, everyone feels, everyone experiences their body. But the primary way that head types, that's fives, sixes, and sevens, the primary way that they take in information and perceive the world is through that head center. It's through ration, logic, uh, it's, it's, it's thinking. It's, it's, the, it's not so much emotion, it's not so much intuition, it's, it's, it's process, it's data. It's, it's taking in the information and figuring out categories for it and processing the world in that way. These types are, um, their big underlying thing is fear. That's what's traditionally taught for the head triad. And uh, they each experience and encounter fear in different ways. Um, but but that is one of the things that you're going to find within the head triad most is they're, they're figuring out how to protect themselves against the things that they are afraid of. And they're, they're processing every all of the information coming to them and figuring out how to best keep themselves safe. Mm. Future Focus Clan. Here's stuff that might go wrong, or here's the stuff that might go right uh, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Talk about uh, fives in particular. So fives in particular, that's who we're looking at today. Fives are the way that they are processing information is much more objective. Like they want to understand how things work. They want to see the full puzzle and have a clear picture of how everything fits together. And their their processing of fear, the way that they deal with their fear is by making sure that they have the right data, making sure that they understand how things work so that they are prepared. They want to know everything about how this situation is going to play out so that they know how to react. Now, what this typically means is that they spend all of their time studying and in preparation. So these are ivory tower types. These are academics. Um, they're not all academics, but there are a lot of academics that are R fives, and they're 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 trying to make sure that they have enough information about the thing that they have to face, so that they can go into it prepared. And that usually means that they just don't go into it. They're very comfortable studying, and they're going to have a harder time moving into action. So they are part of that withdrawn stance with fours and nines. And they are much more comfortable sitting back and processing the data than actually moving forward to do something about it. We were talking about a buddy of ours off off air um, and how this person keeps a lot of information close to their chest. Would you talk about fives and that tendency to gather, to hoard, to hold on to things that they see as as valuable? Yeah. The uh, so fives are typically associated with um, avarice is their their sin or or greed, um, and it, it's it's not so much about wanting all of the things, but it, it it is about keeping all of the things and protecting it. So fives 
in that fear space, they're fearful that they won't have enough, that they won't, that their, their needs are, are too much to be taken care of. So they, they keep things close to them in order to protect themselves in the same way that they want information to make sure that they have, they are prepared for all situations. They don't want to share their stuff because they, they don't know what's going to happen to it out in the world. And so, so they, they keep things close to themselves. That, that includes all of the information that they've gathered, but that, that's a, in a big way, that is the stuff about themselves. They don't share yeah. about themselves very much. That same tendency to hoard information moves into their emotional life mm-hmm. and perhaps into their, their fiscal life. Yeah. Just the, that common posture of here are the things that are most valuable. I'm going to keep them close. I liked how and, you put that. Safe. that yeah. yeah. Ooh. So in case something happens, they can dole it out for the sake of others? Um, if they're healthy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, <laughs> about, it's about protecting it for themselves for their future. They need to make sure they have enough. And so they, they keep everything close. We're going to talk about a handful of villainous fives. Um, as you guys know, if you've listened to our other podcasts on villains, we're going to do a quick list of those who we're going to talk about at the end, starting with a great example of somebody hoarding, and that would be one Smog the Dragon. Excellent. Sitting on yeah. his treasure hoard, hoarding all the stuff. Perfect. Not healthy, apparently. <laughs> He's not giving it to the starving Smog people of Lake Town. The dragon isn't healthy. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to uh, look at uh, Anton Chigur from No Country for Old Men. Many of your favorite villains, those of you who are really cinephiles and get into one of the more darker movies here of the last recent years that did quite well. Yeah, I've never watched it all the way through. I've started it a couple of times, and I just haven't been able to get into it. I had to put on my philosopher hat. When I put on my philosopher hat, I really enjoyed the movie. Sure. When I went and sat down and just... I've realized this about myself. Like, if I take in a movie, I love taking in movies with my emotions. Mm. And this is why I never like watching dark movies. Sure. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like, this yeah. is going to mess me up. I did, with the movie that we're going to talk about today and with No Country, I was just like, I'm putting on my, my philosopher hat. Excellent. And I got through them just great. great. We are okay. also going to talk about our first musical villain. And that would be one Aaron Burr from the recent... Hamilton oh, villain from project. a musical. I was gonna say we just did a whole thing on Salieri. That's not a <laughs> musical villain. I don't know what it. Oh right, villain from a musical. Okay, that's. But we are going to start with the number one villain according to the American Film Institute. And you want to you want to tell us who is behind door number five, TJ? I, I approve of that that categorization. The number one villain of all time. Yes. Uh, one. Hannibal Lecter, as portrayed by Anthony Hopkins, the great Sir Anthony Hopkins. Is he a sir? He should be. I don't care if he <laughs> is. He should be. This man has not sir. been knighted yet. Anthony Hopkins is one of the most <laughs> brilliant actors of all time and played one of the the number one villain. It, number one villain? Oh, my gosh. He's We're so going to talk about the uniqueness of this villain in a minute, but... There's so many things worth saying here that this character has done things that just haven't been done before. So you may know this with Silence of the Lambs. It was only the third movie ever to win 
all five of the big categories for the Academy Awards, uh, Best okay. Picture, Best Actress, Best Actor, Best Screenplay, and Best Director. It's, the, yeah. it's only happened three other times. But what's really interesting about Silence of the Lambs was it's the only movie ever to have won Best Picture as a February release. Mm. Oh, so it's, man, those it would, poor films in front of it. It was a year the, worth of films. <laughs> and this one's like sliding at the year. end. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, it was so ingrained in the mind consciousness of, you know, the culture that year that the jokes, if you watch those Academy Awards, I remember this really cr- clearly. It was Billy Crystal came out and he had the mask on. He had the, sure. the yeah. leather mask that protected the mouth. Mm-hmm. And went right up to Hopkins and started having a conversation <laughs> with him. It's like everyone knew this 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 film was just powerful. Yeah. Um, now you may know that sometimes movie villains don't get a lot of screen time. Jaws only on screen for four minutes. Sure. Yeah. T Rex only on screen for six minutes. Yeah. Darth Vader, Darth Vader in New Hope only eight minutes. Sure. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Frankenstein's not in the movie very much. Sure. Yeah, I believe that. I thought Here's that the was thing, funny. though. <laughs> None of them won Academy Awards. They didn't. <laughs> Lecter is on screen 16 minutes. It is the least amount of any Academy Award winning actor. The man won an Academy Award for 16 minutes worth of screen time. Mm. God, he's so good. Broad question then. Why is why is this character front of mind when we talk about best villains? I really uh, uh I, I think that Hannibal is a compelling villain, but I think that he would not have captured the the hearts of America <laughs> if it hadn't been for Anthony Hopkins' portrayal. Yeah. Like, have, have you read the book? I did read the book. I, I think the books are amazing. I really enjoyed the books. Yeah. And I only read the books because Anthony Hopkins is so good. <laughs> it's the gateway drug. Did you know who was uh, first asked to do this part? No. By the way, it was one Sean Connery. That it, and it wouldn't have worked. It, <laughs> it, it would have been have fine. Worked. It would have been fine. He would have been fine. Give me some... Fava beans, Clarice. I thought that was a <laughs> shitty Sean Connery. <laughs> but, <laughs> it would have been fine, but it would have been only fine. So one of the things I think takes place, and we'll see this, because there's only like five or six scenes that he's in, um, and we're going to talk through all of them. Yeah. But a lot of the work that is done to make this character so scary is done in your imagination. Yep. I want to pitch, they are setting this person up as terrifying from the beginning. It's like, here's a photograph of a woman whose face he ripped apart. Right. And they saved an eye, you know? And by the time you get to the jail cell, which is, you know, apparently five stories under the earth, you're just like, ah! Yeah, yeah. Like like all of the rules that are set up around meeting him, like you, you yes. can't pass him anything, like... Yeah, setting up setting up the suspense of who this this person is, and that he will completely dominate you. Yes, yeah. yeah. The thing that's crazy on this front is he's 
in some ways powerless. He's an incarcerated man. He's behind glass. And you are still terrified of this person. So that's what I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk more about this, especially as like relevant lines and stuff come up. But that's that's part of the thing about part of why he's such a good villain, but also something about fives and understanding mm-hmm. the full picture is mm-hmm. that the, the reason that he is so powerful is that he knows you better than you do. Yep. just from meeting you. Yep. He can understand, he understands how people work and what, like, he's so smart and perceptive that he can dissect someone within the first meeting, mm-hmm. which means that he has power over them. Yeah. I'm thrilled. We're going we're gonna to talk around that a lot in, the, in this podcast because that is it. It's not just about knowing things, but that knowledge has power. Yeah. And that is a large portion of what this character is about. Yeah. Um, like, I, I keep thinking about uh, Sherlock as, a, as another five, Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. as a five. But if Sherlock turned evil, he wouldn't be Moriarty. He would be Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Ah. He has a PhD in clinical psychology. He's got a super disturbing accent, which is one part Baltimore, one part Lithuanian, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Hopkins said he based it on Truman Capote, uh, who also strikes me as kind of a creepy dude. Sure. Um, Cultured, artistic, likes to eat people. Yeah. What's the eating people about? Uh, I do not. I couldn't tell you. I'm sure they get into it a little bit in the books, but I read those so long ago that I don't even remember. True. Yeah. Actually, I bet you they they are going to, yeah. This is probably a good time to mention that like we are not talking about Hannibal Lecter as portrayed in the books. Right. We're not talking about Hannibal Lecter in the movie Hannibal, which I only saw once because it wasn't that good. <laughs> Jodie Foster <laughs> makes a really big difference. <laughs> Uh, true. We're not talking about Red Dragon, and we're definitely not talking about Mads Mikkelsen's performance of Han- as Hannibal, which I'm sure is spectacular. Mads Mikkelsen is great. We're not talking about that. We're talking exclusively about the 16 minutes of airtime portrayed by Sir Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. I'm sure there's some backstory about him eating people, which I've, 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 I'm, I should have looked up, but... The thing that hit me first when just thinking through this is there's something about, we're going to talk about fives going to eight and going to the low side of eight and what that looks like. And eights are going to have a lust of a a voraciousness. Mm. And that might be something we talk about when it comes to the potency of experience. Sure. You know, eating somebody's liver, that could qualify. Right. (laughs) <laughs> well, and realistically, like the fact that he eats people, that's not the thing that makes him a villain. That's not the mm. scary part about Hannibal Lecter. The scary part about Hannibal Lecter is that he can control you from meeting you. Yeah. And also he wants to eat you. That's <laughs> that's a, like that's a secondary <laughs> issue. <laughs> There's a scene in an elevator where Clarice is going up to uh for her last meeting with Lecter. And the cop who is with her is clearly terrified, and he says, Is it true what they're saying? Some kind of vampire? And she looks at him and says, 
They don't have a name for what it is. And I love that as a, like just to build the tension for this poor guy who's yeah. <laughs> who's just part of Tennessee State Patrol yeah. <laughs> and, and he's got to deal with a vampire. Maybe. All right. I got this is I'm so excited to talk to you about this. I don't know if you read my notes, but the, I'm so jazzed about this. Can you think of any other character like Hannibal Lecter? No. And Sherlock so, is the, the closest, but Sherlock yeah. isn't evil. He just doesn't care about people. There is a Jungian archetype. It's real common in, in uh, fiction and film, and it's that of the wise old man or the hermit. So I can name a handful of these characters. Sure. Gandalf is this character. Obi-Wan Kenobi in New Hope is this character. Uh, Mr. Miyagi's this character. The hermit in Frankenstein. Professor X. Dumbledore. All of these, you know, in the Bible, it's Samuel. In Plato, it's Socrates. It's the wise old man who's going to take the hero from here to there. They're, sure. they're the one who initially sees something worthwhile in the hero, brings out the colors in that hero, and sets them on the right path. So one wiki site that I went to said this, the wise old man is foreign from a different culture, nation, or even a different time. In extreme cases, he may be a liminal be being, such as Merlin, who is half-human. In medieval chivalric romance and modern fantasy, the wise old man is often presented as a wizard, one with supernatural abilities. One can also be uh, featured as a hermit, like Yoda. This character type explains to the knight or hero the significance of their quest. Eventually, the wise old man is killed off in some way or removed from the story, and that allows the hero to grow on their own. That's Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And I can only think of one other, and it's a real stretch. Only one other character who is who is the wise old man, who is also a villain, and is terrifying. And that's why this character is unique. Sure. What's what's the one you're thinking of? The one that I'm thinking of. You and I may. There's a second one worth talking about for me. <laughs> the one that I'm thinking of is the great owl from Secret of Nim. Oh, I don't know. Miss Secret of Nim. Miss Frisbee has to go into the depths of the earth. She has to have a conversation with an owl. Owls eat mice. And there's a there is there's a almost identical image to Silence of the Lambs with Miss Frisbee's a much more timid, and yet her courage really comes forth. And she has to have a conversation with this very intimidating, hovering owl who could at any moment eat her and get wisdom about how to save her family. Hmm. So that's one. The second Perhaps obvious one is Palpatine. Sure. But I don't think Palpatine's the wise old man. Yeah. I think Palpatine is um, doesn't care. He, he is setting a trap for Anakin by pretending he's the wise old man. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. But that, I don't think that's what... But that's not what Lecter's doing. I right. don't think he's setting a trap at all for Clarice. Right. Did you have one in mind? No. Oh, I thought you your 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 brain was. It, it looked I am. Like I'm, your I'm thinking through. Right. Like like smog is is pretty close to that. Oh, of all things, smog is pretty close to that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I wonder if smog is kind of an antithesis to Gandalf on in that story. Then, yeah, I'm gonna think on that. That's good though, because that that's exactly what happens. Is uh, he tries to play Bilbo off against the dwarves in Lake Town and right get him on his side. Huh, right. That's good. Clarice Starling, I think one of the better images for her is that she is a knight, um, and her quest is to save the princess. Mm -hmm. The princess has been captured by some sort of creature, 
Um, I think there's a lot of Minotaur imagery with Buffalo Bill. Uh, Minotaur is half man, half buffalo. And with Buffalo Bill, it's not just the name, but there is also the person in transition or wanting mm. to transition, yeah. you know, where the Minotaur is, is you know, has a foot in two different worlds. That yeah, seems sure. to me what's going on with Buffalo Bill. The thing with that gives this away is not just the name, but that his entire dwelling is a maze. Once, sure. once you go to the end of that movie, you know, Clarice gets lost in the maze. Right. I just like that. I thought that was really worthwhile. So, but it makes Lecter then the wise old man who is helping the knight. Yeah. And she's a knight. Her father was a knight. He was a cop. And her father has died. And now the wise old man has to step into that role. And again, here's Clarice as a orphan. So many orphans who are the heroes. But the wise old man comes and says, I see something in you, kid. Releases him. I just thought that was fun. That there's so much medieval here, and it feels like a very contemporary movie. Yeah. Last word before we start, and I steal this story from Steve Morris from the Fantastic Cinephiles podcast, who we're going to have on next week when we talk about villainous sixes. Um, he shares a story about uh, Jonathan Demme, who's the director. Jonathan Demme is at the New York Film Critics Awards. And this is like a prestigious version of the Academy Awards. And he arrives and there's a protest outside. There are folks handing out flyers that are aimed at his movie. And it's mostly from the transgender community mm. and saying that they, they are upset by the depictions of some of the, you know, the characters in this film. Sure. And Demme gets the award for best director, gets up, and says, I don't know if you saw, but there's protests outside, and they're handing out flyers, and I really think you should read them. They've done a very gracious job in their flyer, and they're correct. And Hollywood has done a poor job of addressing what we would call LGBTQ issues. Mm -hmm. And then he took his award and sat down. And I thought that one that was fantastic in, in terms of exposing this man's heart yeah, and the heart behind the director. But second, he won all these awards for this movie. And do you know what his next movie that he created was? It was another Academy Award winner called Philadelphia. Oh, perfect. And I thought there's, there's transition going on in his heart and mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And... Anyway, I just thought that well, was beautiful. And nice that he didn't, like, I, I'm immediately going to, like, I want to defend the depiction of Buffalo Bill as saying that this is not a depiction of someone who is truly transsexual or, yep. or even in the midst of transition. This is someone who is deeply, deeply, deeply unhealthy. Un, he is not right in the head. And Lecker even addresses that he is not a true transvestite. Yeah. Uh, like, like he's not, he, he's insane. It's, is the real problem. And it's so great that, uh, Demi didn't feel like he had to go to that place of defending his work and just said, this is something that we're not doing well. Yeah. And that's just it. He even, I think you're exactly right. There's that long conversation in the movie and yet people, perhaps rightly can still feel like they're being attacked or made into villains right. in our culture and him understanding that and moving another step. 
getting no less than Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington to do a film with you to elevate LGBTQ concerns at that point in time. Right. Just heroic. Right. That just strikes me as heroic. Yeah. You want to get into this movie? Let's do it, man. We are on the FBI grounds. There's uh, a woman who is running a, what seems to be a difficult obstacle course. She's sweaty, and there's a sign she runs past that says, Hurt, Agony, Pain, Love It. <laughs> Clarice Starling. I like the star there. Starling. She's bright. Sure. Um, she's be- she's going to begin this movie in a gray outfit that's all sweaty. And I just point that out here at the outset that there's going to be a journey that's taking place in this woman. And the obstacle course very much depicts a lot of what's going on in her heart and mind. Um, We see her enter the FBI um, headquarters. There are uh, men. She's constantly surrounded by men who are just towering over her. And and they do a good job of showing it but not highlighting it that that like all of these men view her as like a tiny woman like you can tell that they're checking her out and you can and you can see on their faces that they don't think that she really belongs there and that's going to get brought up later it's almost like there's a pin here Mm -hmm. um there's actually another scene where she walks into a funeral home same story. Yeah. Surrounded by men who are looking at her. In fact, uh, did you realize this? I didn't realize this till I started listening to podcasts on it. A handful of the scenes in this movie are the actors speaking directly at the camera or just to the side yeah. of the camera. Yeah. And it gives you that image of you are being watched. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I assume it's meant to make you feel uneasy. Sure. And that's her heart. Yep. She's pulled off the course, goes into the FBI building because apparently one Jack Crawford wants to see her. Now, apparently this is someone with a lot of standing at the FBI, deals with serial killers. She goes right away. We're not going to spend a ton of time on Clarice or Crawford. We're going to be talking mostly about Hannibal Lecter. But this is where we begin to get the introduction to Hannibal Lecter is as Clarice enters Crawford's office. He sits her down. They have a discussion, and then he says, I want your full attention, Starling. Be very careful with Hannibal Lecter. Dr. Chilton at the asylum will go over all the physical procedures used with him. Do not deviate from them for any reason whatsoever. And you're to tell him nothing personal, Starling. Which he's going to totally obey. (laughs) Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. And what is that? And then there's a hard cut to Dr. Chilton, who finishes the sentence, and he says, Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. From a research point of view, Lecter is our most prized asset. Any thoughts on just that setup of uh, Dr. Lecter? Well, the um, part of what is so great about this character is the way that other people perceive him. And, and you have the head of the FBI or, or one of the higher-ups in the FBI who has clearly worked with him and knows enough about him to know to be afraid of him, but is speaking about him from a distance. Yeah. And then yeah. you have uh, Dr. Dr. Chilton, who you immediately hate. 
Like yep. this guy clearly sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh and 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 the way that he talks about him is is almost this this sort of like fanciful like that like this is a sideshow Th- like this is a thing that doesn't occur in nature don't you want to see it mm-hmm. and and the the fascination and and the fear built around such a unique being like i i think about shark week and how we have turned like, like we as a society now have turned this this thing that should be treated with a healthy healthy amount of of fear into a spectacle, mm. and that's almost what's happening with with what we how we should be viewing Lecter by the way that other people are talking about him. Yeah, I would love to put a pin on that because I think that is actually what this movie in part is about is I think the high point of the movie comes when Lecter for the first time in years feels like a human being and nobody treats him like a human being. Okay. Except for one person. Sure. And we'll, we'll get there. I've never been emotionally moved by this movie (laughs) until I I wrote down the script and there's one line that actually broke me. I was like, I'm crying. I don't know. I I realize this is going to happen in in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, it is also the case that Chilton sucks, yeah. which uh, <laughs> begins hitting on Clarice. She puts him down gently. He's mad, stands up, takes her down into the dungeon. And they are going downstairs for a while. And the lights are getting darker and they're surrounded by, you know, what is it? I mean, the surroundings are more and more unsettling. Mm-hmm. And Chilton is talking the whole time very quickly about really dark things, and it's making us uncomfortable. We've tried to study him, of course, but he's much too sophisticated for the standard tests. Oh, my, does he hate us. Thinks I'm his nemesis. Crawford's very clever, isn't he, using you? What do you mean, sir? Pretty young woman to turn him on. I don't believe Lecter's even seen a woman in eight years. And oh, are you ever his taste, so to speak. Clarice, and this can begin to tell you this character is. I graduated from QVA, doctor. It is not a charm school. Good, then you should be able to remember the rules. Do not touch the glass. Do not approach the glass. You pass him nothing but soft paper. No pencils or pens. No staples or paper clips in his paper. Use the sliding food carrier. No exceptions. If he attempts to pass you anything, do not accept it. Do you understand me? Yes, I understand, sir. And this is when they reach the very bottom floor. I'm going to show you why we insist on such precautions. On the afternoon of July 8, 1981, he complained of chest pains and was taken to the dispensary. His mouthpiece and restraints were removed for an EKG. When the nurse leaned over him, he did this to her. Shows the back. All we see is the back of a photograph. The doctors managed to reset her jaw, more or less, save one of her eyes. His pulse never got above 85, even when he ate her tongue. Question for you. Hit me. Is there something scarier about being eaten by a person than, say, eaten by a dog or a shark or, or a bear? a wild animal? Is that, yeah. is that what you're asking? Is there something scarier <laughs> than being eaten by a fellow human being than by a wild animal? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's the unexpected nature of it. 
you don't expect a human being to try and eat part of your face off ever. Mm -hmm. You approach wild animals (laughs) with a certain amount of trepidation because they might bite your face off. You don't approach fellow human beings with the kind of trepidation where they might bite your face off, (laughs) you know? I don't know what it is for me in thinking it like, even if you knew that Lecter might bite your face off right now, it's still the case that there's something different between seeing the bear behind the glass and seeing Lecter behind the glass. Lecter is just more, there's a relational side perhaps, or there is, there's clearly that he's way more intelligent than me mm-hmm. side. Maybe it's that um, in, in philosophy speak, there's a difference between natural evil and moral evil. Natural evil is just what we see in the world. Cancer, um, a lion eating a deer, um, you know, hurricanes. These are natural evil. And actually natural evil takes place all the time. If 225,000 people were killed not by a virus, but by, you know, the Canadians, we we would be nationally united. Right. And taking down Canadians. Right. But it's the fact that it's a virus. It's a natural evil. Oh, this just happens. But if it's a moral evil, if human beings are deciding to do this awful, wicked, no good, very bad thing, there's something different there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's my best attempt at putting my thumb on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Well, and also, I think it also describes some of the way that they're, they're presenting, like, like Chilton, Chilton, it does not view Lecter as a human being. Lecter is a subject to study. He's a monster. Uh, he's uh, what does he say? Pure psychopath. Like, like he he has relegated Lecter to this other category, and so so views him as such. Like, he's like our most prized asset. Yeah, he's obviously he's a danger, but but yeah. he doesn't get treated like a human being because Chilton doesn't see him as a fellow human being. Yeah. I think that's the story. Yeah. There is there is a lot of language. We'll hit him. I'll I'll specially note him, but there's a handful of lines in this movie about pronoun use mm-hmm. and what how you dialogue about the other, as it were, I, we'll we'll hit it. But that I think that's I just think that's core to the movie. I would never have guessed that. Yeah, going in, um, it's getting darker and darker. At this point, the lights are red, and it is as though we have entered, you know, the center of hell. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually is an image that really matters to this movie. And we're going to talk about why in later scenes that that Lecter has been in hell for a while. Um, and the Howard Shore music is, you know, swelling. And then there is this great last interaction between Chilton and Clarice, where Clarice turns to him and says, Dr. Chilton, if Lecter feels that you're his enemy, then, um, well, maybe we'll have more luck if I go in by myself. You might have suggested this in my office and saved me the time. Because he's a dick. <laughs> right? Her way of navigating this very difficult situation. Yes, sir. Then I, I would have missed the pleasure of your company, sir. And he's silent and he leaves. 
let's talk for a moment just about Clarice Starling, who in prior podcasts we typed as an Enneagram three. Sure. And this is going to come up a couple times. We're not going to be going down the deep rabbit hole of uh, Enneagram threeness here, mm -hmm. but it will matter to some of the things that Lecter says. And I think it matters just here in terms of this interaction, I think matters as much as anything else we've seen, because sure. this shows you that she is competent and is not easily intimidated. And she actually knows how to take control when she needs to. Mm. None of that necessarily is threeness. I think that's actually more about her character. But uh, you got any thoughts on, on Clarice so far? And uh, before she enters, you know, the center of hell, <laughs> I, I I think that like one one of the things about her character in general, and and particularly why Jodie Foster is so good in this role, is that that we need to understand that Clarice Starling understands how other people see her because that's mm -hmm. that's a really big deal. And I think that's mm -hmm. that is a that is a very three thing is is being aware of how other people see you, and and so so you see her like with with the way that the the other FBI guys are sort of objectifying her, even with the way that her boss is in this weird sort of inappropriate fatherly role over her, in the way that Chilton immediately thinks that he's going to get to bang this girl, mm -hmm. <laughs> like. Like she is constantly aware of how other people see her and she's able to use that to her advantage. Mm -hmm. So like, here's, here's this great moment of her, her, like she needs to go in there alone because if she shows up with Chilton, he, it will ruin the entire thing completely. And so even though he is terrible, she's going to, to propose this in a way that like, she can't make him think it's his idea, but she can do it in such a way that gets rid of him and also doesn't make him think that she thinks she's better than him. Yeah. It's not only... That's, that's perfect. She not only navigates that situation with Chilton such that she doesn't get thrown out and such that she can actually return in the future. Yeah. It's also the case... Here is that first glimmer of she is humanizing Lecter mm -hmm. at some level. She, she's obviously there to get what she wants, but she's treating Lecter like a human being who has intentions and a personality and yeah. will react to her yeah. with thoughtfulness. And, and like she understands how she is perceived. So she knows, yeah. she, like, she's not, I don't think she's. There, there's even a glimmer of her being as smart as Lecter and, and as perceptive as Lecter, but I think mm -hmm. she does understand that Lecter sees something about her and she's able to take advantage of that reality. Yep. And here she is 30 yards away or 20 yards away from Lecter and she's future problem solving exactly right. that. Right. It's how am I going to be perceived when I get around the corner? Right. Character introduction. <laughs> she's going to walk down a very dark prison basement hallway. There are uh, prison cells on her left with some very uh, grimy, scary individuals behind them. Yeah. Um, and all bars. They're all behind bars. And they're all behind bars. Yeah. You want to talk about the glass? 
she she comes to lecture cell and it's no longer bars it's glass right i i don't know what to say there like we think that in the original script it was it was bars and i honestly don't remember from the books right um because i read them so long ago but um no i know i know i know the answer actually but i'm okay. curious if if we could read whatever we want to into the glass i think the glass makes it way more scary sure uh because you can um he it's he can't like they had to create an extra barrier. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, because all of the other people can reach through. Yeah, he can't. Yeah, I think it makes it way more scary. Yeah. Uh, for exactly that reason, it's like, oh, you're different, and they had to figure out other solutions for you. Right. What really happened is the bars kept getting in the way when they were filming, so they <laughs> so they just <laughs> said, "Why don't we just make this into glass?" Perfect. <laughs> But you turn, she walks down the corner and you look around and there's Lecter. And he looks like a guy who might do your taxes. Right. And that's an extra measure of scary. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you look normal. Yeah. All of the other guys in that row look terrifying. (laughs) Right. You know to avoid those guys when you're downtown. Right. Right. Lecter might be the guy who like opens the door for you as you're going into your hotel room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, Hopkins said about this was that utility of motion was important to his character. It's hmm. I'm not moving a lot, but yeah. when I do move, it matters. Yep. And so he is standing. There's energy being used. His eyes are always slightly enlarged which mm-hmm. we can talk about with fiveness here in a minute. And he just says, Good morning. Polite as all get out. Clarice. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. May I speak with you? Again, a humanizing move. You're one of Jack Crawford's, aren't you? I am, yes. May I see your credentials? Lecter already knows who she is. Right. It's already the observational character here. And it also establishes that he knows Crawford better yes. than she does. Ooh, yeah. Why? Well, because like if he knows if he knows anyone, he knows them better than they know themselves. Okay, sure. And he immediately knows that she works for Crawford, mm-hmm. which establishes that he knows Crawford, mm-hmm. which also like it 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 breaks down. A sort of like now he knows so much more about this situation than anyone thought he was going to. Yeah. Have you ever gone over to somebody's house and they're in a fight with their they're they're having banter with their parents or with their spouse and they start talking about something and you're kind of lost. And you're like, oh, you guys have been having this conversation for a while. Right. And I'm just now stepping into the middle of it. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah, like, he has a relationship with Jack Crawford. Yeah. And she's now in the middle of that. Yeah. Yeah. If we, if uh, One thing that we do know is that Crawford is the one who caught him and put him in prison, so... Right. But we're not talking about any of the non-movie stuff, but... Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> there is a chess match that is going on, and she stepped into the middle of it, and I think that's important because it it actually determines how Lecter's going to engage her. Mm-hmm both in terms of receiving information and then what he wants her to do for him, yeah. as it were. Yeah. 
as you will know, one of my favorite things in any movie is the question, who are you? Right. Because it's always an existential question. It's always about identity. And right here, Dr. Lecter says, may I see your credentials? And that's that's just one of those fiction tropes where right. it's, who are you? And she holds out her badge. Certainly. Closer, please. Closer. Which she's immediately breaking one of the rules. She's not supposed to get close to the class. Yeah. Like, immediately breaks one of the big rules. Revealing some of herself, apparently. Because right. it's going to say stu- some stuff about her, I suppose. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of the breaking of the rules that takes place. Correct. You want to well, we'll talk quite a bit about Lecter and him getting her to break the rules because that's what other play does he have? Right. Well, and and seeing like it's not just about breaking the rules, but it's also about seeing what she is willing to do. Mm-hmm. Like how much control over her does he have? That's mm-hmm. that's part of what his game is. Is like she could just hold him up. He 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 has no right to request her credentials. Mm-hmm. Right. Like none <laughs> sure. whatsoever. It could be mm. it could be the her mailman's nephew could be <laughs> the person coming in to interview him, and he does not have a say in whether or not they're allowed to be there. I will say this twelve thousand times in this podcast, but nearly everything Lecter does is about getting power over the person in front of him. Mm-hmm. You're going to do what I ask. Where are your credentials? I need you to bring them closer. No, no, no. Closer. Right. That's all. That has nothing to do with him getting information off of the license in her wallet. Right. That has everything to do with con- with controlling the situation. Right. And having power over this person. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is he, as she moves closer, he's not even looking at the credentials. He's looking right at her. Right. And then it's a very quick move. He looks down, looks at it, and then says to her, That expires in one week. You're not real FBI, are you? Which is terrifying that he can process all of this almost instantaneously. Right. Right. Because he's smarter than anyone else. (laughs) If you're a three holding out your credentials and somebody calls you an imposter in the first two sentences of your engagement with them, what's going through your mind? I mean, I, I would guess it, that's the time to tuck tail and run. <laughs> like, get out of there. He knows. <laughs> There's someone in the house. <laughs> I'm still in training at the academy. Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. Yes, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you. Maybe you can decide for yourself whether or not I'm qualified enough to do that. Mm, That is rather slippery of you, agents, darling. Sit, please. Power in mind? There's a handful of things here. It's He is directing her. He actually tells her to sit, and he doesn't. He decides to keep standing. Right. And he is just controlling this interaction. And he knows that the person in front of him is an extension of an enemy. Well, I, I'm not sure that he does. Like, I, I, okay. I think that he sees, I think that he's trying to discover whether or not she is an extension of Jack Crawford. Oh, I see. Sure. Because, he, because there's, he hasn't figured that out yet. I, I think he's trying to learn that. Like, like, yeah, 
that part of of what he's what it seems like he's doing here is trying to figure out if she is just another lackey Mm -hmm. or if she is going to be able to stand on her own here yeah be like the, the just the simple line of like jack crawford sent a trainee to me that like essentially eliminates her from the picture like she's right. just a pawn if that's the case <sighs> another image of humanizing and dehumanizing people mm-hmm. if she's just a pawn then you don't matter and he's not going to waste his time with her yeah he's if if she had answered that differently he might have just destroyed her and turned around. Yeah. Oh, well, what do you see? I'm sorry, then. What do you see in her response that gives him buy-in? Uh, she she acknowledges, yes, I am a student, but maybe you can decide whether or not I'm, I'm qualified to be here. Like, sort of puts the ball back into his court. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, she essentially stands up for herself. That's where it's, why is it slippery? Is that why it's slippery? It's that she has moved in such a way that she has earned another engagement? Well, and and like she, she put it back onto him. Like he's, he's basically saying, prove yourself. And she says, you decide you're smarter than everyone else in the room. Oh, that's good. So it's like, it's, it's almost a Tai Chi move on her part. Yep. Lecter moves immediately to, again, say a set of questions that give him huge power, and yet it is, again, testing her, what, her merit? Not that, what do you call that? Testing your, uh, doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to, again, push in a way that establishes power, it seems to me, Mm -hmm. and tests Clarice. Now then, tell me. What did Miggs say to you? Multiple Miggs in the next cell. He hissed at you. What did he say? And we all know that, by the way, this is going to be a rated R podcast for, for you parents listening with your seven-year-old. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> We're talking about Silence of the Lambs. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Clary says, He said, I can smell your cunt. I see. I myself cannot. But then he does something. He like arches his back, moves his face to the glass and to some of the holes and begins to smell the air. You use Evian skin cream and sometimes you wear lead at home, but not today. So it's again so much here yeah. in, in these few lines. But I have a question for you. Does he already know what Miggs said? And that's why he's bringing it up? Uh, I could... I could go either way on that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the reason that he's asking is more about her than it is about what Nick said. To, to see how she will communicate? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I think he might know and really wants to use it as another leverage point. Yeah, I think either way. Like, it, I don't think it matters whether he knows or not. I, I still think it's the case that he's yeah, asking her to find out, to get her reaction. The thing that we said about the wise old man character is that sometimes they have supernatural abilities. Mm -hmm. And our Enneagram 5, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, is going to have some observational superpowers 
which come up routinely, but one of them, and it puts him in the not the superhuman space, is that he can smell what lotion she's wearing, tell you its brand, and tell you that you did not wear perfume today. And clearly, why didn't she wear perfume today? I mean, because, A, because she had to come here so quickly after running that crazy obstacle course, but B, because oh. she was coming to visit one of the most dangerous serial killers in the history of humanity at an insane asylum. (laughs) The asylum thing just jumps out. You're going to an asylum. You're not looking, you know, to pick up a mate. Yeah, you're not trying to attract (laughs) the opposite sex there. Chilton thought she was, though. Chilton thought that that she had been sent because she's a an attractive young student who was just Lecter's taste. And if she was going to try and, you know, really push into that card, she mm. might have worn a scent, you know? Right. And apparently she didn't. Right. I think there's something there. I don't, I don't know what else to say there. I don't know if it, if it was intentional that she did not wear perfume. It may be the case that, yes, this is an asylum. It also might be the case that she is coming to gain information from Lecter, not because she is attractive, but because she has what it takes to, to hang. Or I, I think it's also like we have to face the reality that she was sent to Lecter for a reason that may not be in line with why she came to see Lecter. Mm-hmm. Crawford and Chilton mm. might be of yeah, the same mind I see what there. you're saying. Yep, but that does not mean that that's what she's there for. I suppose her intentions, yeah, and how she sees herself, right, is un- unveiled in the fact that she didn't wear perfume, right. And at least Lecter knows that now, right. Mm. Before we go on, do we want to say anything about Lecter being a Enneagram Five? And why we why we would type this <laughs> character as a five now that we have well, introduced? I have been, yeah, I have been thinking a lot about um, we we typically do the what does it look like when fives go to security thing? Yes, uh, we didn't do that at the beginning of this podcast. No, that wasn't in my notes. Yeah. Whoops, <laughs> whoops. That's <laughs> uh, fine. Uh, Hannibal Lecter is fascinating enough. Um, so there's there's so much about him. In, in these opening moments um, that is entirely observational and he doesn't seem to be, he's not really offering anything of himself. It's questions. It's, it's, he's trying to get a clear picture of who this person is. And, and you mentioned before the, the wide open eyes thing. Like he, he has a heightened sense of smell. I think the wide open eyes is in part to be really creepy, but I think it's also has to do with that observational sense. Like he has a, a more sophisticated palate. He has a more sophisticated sense of hearing. Like it is entirely possible that he already knows what Meg said because he can hear better. Uh, I think in general, his sen- his senses are heightened. And I think all of that ties into this this concept of this person being observational by nature. Like he has a PhD. He's not that old, but he's he was a psychiatrist for a long time and long enough to establish himself as a well-known sort of prolific psychiatrist. That's part of why his downfall was such a big deal because like, he was he was kind of a big deal in the psychiatry world, and as as uh, an observer of humanity, as 
like you see the the drawings on his wall and and the things that he recalls from memory um like he is he clearly has all of the things that you would associate with a typical five someone who is trying to understand the full puzzle now, one of the things that, that we are going to continue to talk about, and I feel like it's it's easy to see throughout all of this, is that when fives move into places of security, that's when they feel like they they know what's going on. They're, um, they're not necessarily working as hard to try and get the things that they're looking for because they have a lot of the things that they're looking for. They Like, they feel like they're good at whatever it is. Like, they're, they're in the groove, they know what they're doing. Fives will move towards eight. And as we've said all along in this series, you can do that in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. The healthy version picks up some ability to start using the information that you've amassed to start helping other people do the things that need to get done. Like you step into leadership role with the information that you've gathered and say, I am the expert on this and I know how we're going to move forward. In the unhealthy expression of this, you start to become someone who wants to be in control at all times. Mm. Um, it's, it's much more the unhealthy picture of the eight, uh, large and in charge kind of, kind of thing. But you bring behind it this this sort of puzzle solving. Like, I don't remember if I, I said this in the recording before because I've said it so many times, but Hannibal Lecter is going to be a spectacular picture of someone who lives in their security point mm -hmm. because he is in charge at all times. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still from that base motivation of wanting to understand how everything works. Mm -hmm. And and the in-charge part simply comes out of his being completely secure. Like, he's smarter than everyone else in the room all the time, which means that he's always in security. Strikes me that, and we've talked about this, the move to security is when you've actually taken care of your motive and the motive for fives is is to is to feel secure, and they get that by understanding the world around them and having the assets that they need. If you live in a spot where knowledge is what's going to make me secure, this character comes across as almost omnipotent, you right. know, in in the spheres that they're in. So he is secure because all the knowledge that he needs to function in the world is there, right? And therefore, he can push into eight quite easily, right? On the high side of eight, what would Lecter look like, if at all? I liked how, how you pictured the low side of eight. If he's living in security, then he's kind of on a spectrum there, yeah? Or is he just living at the low side of eight? Oh, I think he's living at the low side. Yeah. Because I, I, I think typically when... I mean, he's a fictional character, so it's hard to categorize, but I think you would typically see... Like, people don't live in their stress and security points. They move there in, in, in moments at times for a duration, and then they, they step back. Like, they, there's, there's a lot more movement and dynamism within the Enneagram. That's one of the great things about it. But Hannibal Lecter as a character, I think he, he lives in that security place mm -hmm. because he has 
what he needs. Like even even in prison, he may not have freedom or a view of of the sea or of trees like he wants, but but he has everything that he needs because he's completely comfortable in his own mind. Mm. Yeah. And as we've said, if we didn't say it, it's worth saying again that we think that the dark side of a person's personality, the uh, the villainous side comes out in when they go to the low side of security. Right. There he is, just living there. Right. Yeah, if, if he was capable of going to eight in a healthy way, I don't think he would be capable of allowing himself to eat people. Right. Clarice transitions here, says, looks at the wall, says, Did you do all these wrongs, Doctor? Ah, that is the Duomo scene from the Belvedere. You know, Florence? And again, I think this is a power play. He's already dissected her. He knows mm-hmm. her background. She's right. not coming from wealth. Right. She hasn't been to Florence. She hasn't been to Florence. <laughs> he may be extending some some bit of elevation to her. Have you had these experiences yourself? As though you might be the sort of person to have, have traveled abroad. But it seems like that's not what's going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> she changes the subject then and says, All that detail just from memory, sir? Memory agent starting is what I have instead of a view. Fantastic uh, five picture there again. He yeah. has observational powers that allow him to get minute details of experiences he had a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And and an example of he understands that he doesn't need a view. Like he, he has his memory and, and that's for now that's enough. Mm. That that yeah, that he's content with that. The I don't or know the content, but but he, if he wasn't secure, then he wouldn't be okay with just memory. Right. Sure. What's interesting about this character is that throughout the movie, memory is the only possession he has, and he uses it to maximum effect to get his freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was hoping you could talk about fives and possessions. Well, I think that like we we discussed this before, like that that idea of of the hoarding of the um the the protecting what I have, like sometimes the information is all they have, and and that is that so so fives will be very protective of not only their physical stuff but but the things their 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 thoughts, their feelings, their their memories. They don't share a lot with other people because they don't know that it's going to be safe in someone else's hands. Mm. So, so they like they keep it close to the chest. They they protect themselves in that way by not by not letting a lot of themselves out. So, so fives sharing a lot about what's going on inside of them, like that's a really big deal because because they 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 don't necessarily feel safe letting that stuff out. They want to protect it. And in the same way, like his his memory is going to be one of the few things that he has. And so so he is going to be very protective of it, but he is also going to see it as a resource. This is something mm-hmm. that he can share in order to benefit himself. The keeping it close to the chest matters here because actually it's not just having the information. It's that he exclusively has the information. 
Right. Which is going to allow him to get face-to-face encounters with a senator. Right. I've never met a senator, but he apparently <laughs> can get that face-to-face interaction from his five stories beneath the earth prison cell. Right. Profound. Profound use of power here. Clarice says... Well, perhaps you'd care to lend us your view on this questionnaire. Speaking of views, and she knows this transition sucks. And you can see it all over her face. And she has a job to do. And she knows she's outmatched. And she's going to check mark her task, get the job done, and get out of here, right? And she also knows that he's not interested in doing this questionnaire. He's already refused to do it by several other people. That was something Chilton said. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can't get anything out of him with uh, the tools we've been using. And that's the only thing she has. She's going down with the same tool that they've probably used before. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. You were doing fine. You had been courteous and receptive to courtesy. You had established trust with the embarrassing truth about Migs. Again, elevating her shame there at a past event. And now this... Ham-handed segue into your questionnaire. It won't do. I'm only asking you to look at this, Doctor. Either you will or you won't. Yeah. Jack Crawford must be very busy indeed if he is recruiting help from the student body. You talked about Sherlock Holmes as a five on this front, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of Sherlock Holmes going on here in terms of being able to dissect somebody and the details of their life almost instantaneously, and Mm -hmm. then begin talking to them from that place of leverage. Well, and and pointing at the thing that they're both doing in a way that that almost weaponizes it. Yeah. Let me tell you the conversation we're having right now. Yeah. You know it. I know it. Nobody ever says it out loud, and now I'm going (laughs) to. And it's actually going to do... it's, It's going to shame you. Yeah. By just me acknowledging it. Sherlock does it as an addiction. Right. That's not yeah, what he does Lecter's it because he's doing. bored. Yeah. Lecter is is weaponizing it. That's interesting. Because he knows that it'll it'll hurt her. Yeah. He probably wouldn't have done the same thing with someone like Chilton. Because mm. true, Chilton won't experience being called out in the same way. It's again the case that the sort of stuff he's saying would hit the heart of a three. Mm-hmm. You know, if if she's bringing her heart at all to the task, which I think she is. Right. And, of course, he drops student body, which is <laughs> might be a very dark phrase to be used by a serial killer. Right. <laughs> you know? um, one last footnote. When Lecter dissects her, it is the villainous five analyzing Clarice, who's the heroic three. And just like we talked about in our three podcast, it's the opposite of Sherlock and Moriarty, where Moriarty is the villainous three being analyzed by the heroic five. Mm, yeah. It's, a, it's a, again, looking for these relationships and, and characters in other literature. What do you see here? It's just, uh, it's not very common, this right. pairing. Right. Lecter continues. Busy hunting that new one, Buffalo Bill. What a naughty boy he is. Do you know why he's called Buffalo Bill? Please tell me. The newspapers won't say. Well, it started as a bad joke in Kansas City homicide. They said, this one likes to skin his humps. Why do you think he removes their skins, Agent Starling? Throw me with your acumen. 
love this line. Yeah. <laughs> the, what's going on with thrill me with your acumen? Like it it sounds like an advisor talking to a, a graduate student. It does. Like like Hi. this is this is the faculty professor who already knows everything that the student is sub is studying and is just trying to figure out where yeah. they are in the process. Have you figured it out yet? Yeah. It's also a challenge to a to a three. Show me if you can be successful at your job. Mm -hmm. Are you any good at the thing that you're, you know, that you apparently have studied? Right. And that's exactly right. He is taking the exact same posture as Jack Crawford. Right. Who we learned earlier was Clarice's teacher. Right. It excites him. Most serial killers keep some sort of trophies from their victims. I didn't. No. No, you ate yours. I think this is her getting a punch in. I don't think that Lecter was ready for that. I agree. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily something intending to damage, but at least nope. to show that she, most ser serial killers keep trophies. Mm -hmm. And he says, I didn't. I'm different mm -hmm. from them. And she ah. says, no, you ate yours. You're the yeah. same as them. You just did something <laughs> different with them. Like she, like she's, it's not just a dig. It's, yes. it's reminding him or, or sort of like not allowing him to separate himself that much from these other, from all of those other serial killers. There's something with some of the other characters that we're going to look at that when fives feel like they're being observed, it matters to them. Mm -hmm. They have the superpower of observation, but if somebody else has the power of observation, and if they're able to observe and gain power over me, this is why I hold stuff so closely to the vest, perhaps, at times. Yeah. This is the information about myself is actually a place of security. I'm, right. I'm holding things that might be used against me. Right. And here she is. She has pierced that armor. Yep. And he knows it because yeah. his next line is he looks down for a minute. There's clearly a moment of tension. He looks down for a minute, processes it, which he hasn't done before. And then he says, You send that through now. He's talking about the questionnaire. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't ready for that. It's like, oh. And she kind of catches her off guard, grabs it, and she puts it into the food tray, which, by the way, is the loudest sliding food tray there is. <laughs> it's got this guttural, you know, guillotine sound <laughs> that is like, it's going to crunch your hand in it kind of thing to just, you know, you got it's a thriller. You got to up the tension with, with some of these, uh, these tricks. Uh, he picks it up, licks his finger, smiles at her, winks. Oh, agents, darling, you think you can dissect me with this blunt little tool? Starts mocking her accent. Immediately recognizes that either the form is deconstructing him or else he is, you know, is accusing the form of malicious intent to gain, you know, more power over her. Um, but he clearly felt dissected and knew this was a place he could go to get his leverage back, I thought. Do you have mm. thoughts on, on this? That was, that was my quick take. Because he's getting aggressive at this point. I, I also think that, like, in the information battle between them, like, they're, he is testing her 
constantly, mm-hmm. like throughout this whole conversation, he's trying to figure out not just who she is, um, because I think he already knows a lot of that, but who she wants to be, like like how willing is she to to engage him. And she's trying to figure out how to navigate his moves. Like I, I, I yep. think they're they are sparring. And this yeah. is he is smart enough to know to change course every yeah. few minutes to make sure that she can't pin him down. Mm. It's true. He gets leverage there, mocks her accent, disparages the very reason she has come into his space. She says, I, we are, you know, I only hoped that your knowledge about, you know, the case would be valuable. And Dr. Lecter, she just di- dissected part of him, and then he goes full Sherlock on her. You're so ambitious, aren't you? Do you know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? You look like a rube, a well-scrubbed hustling rube with a little taste. Good nutrition's given you some length of bone, but you're not more than one generation from poor wire trash, are you, Agent Starling? And that accent you've tried so desperately to shed, pure West Virginia. What is your father to you? Is he a coal miner? Does he stink of the land? You know how quickly the boys found you, all those tedious, sticky fumblings in the backseats of cars while you could only dream of getting out, getting anywhere, getting all the way to the end. Just, I want to show you, what, what is he doing there? I. So this this questionnaire that he's looking over, it's it's trying to get inside his head, like it it's a it's a self assessment to try so that they can get a clearer idea of the way that serial killers think and like what what's what's happening, what's his history, what's what's going on to get him to this place. And so here he is showcasing that he basically is a human version of this questionnaire that she has filled out against her consent. Mm-hmm. Like he looked over this questionnaire and then basically showed her a profile of herself. <laughs> I like that. I think that, that's, yeah. that's so good. And like he's, he's, he's trying to unsettle her. Yeah. He brought up her father. Yep. Which we will find out she has issues with. Yep. Brought up her heritage. The word rube, which he uses twice, is a stellar, it's a sophisticated word for yokel or hick. Yeah. It's not like he doesn't use the word yokel. Right. He uses rube because he's up here and from his perch he is going to tell you down there of your value mm-hmm. and significance and again there's something here about about humanizing or dehumanizing a person right he knows she wants to be seen as successful and he is weaponizing that over and again here with her cheap shoes right and that she's just putting on a mask right as she came in here with her good bag just one generation away from poor white trash and she but, really doesn't want people to see her that way and I imagine if somebody starts accurately depicting your early sexual history with others, that that would actually like be, uh, you know, bringing up all kinds of things mm-hmm. and emotions. Mm-hmm. 
and he's saying you were doing this with the boys in the back seats and uh, and it could be the case that he's spot on let's imagine right. that he he does know what he's talking about right bringing up success and father and back seats and i can punch hard if i want to and this is where when she responds here this is just 100% character this is you can't do this unless you have character and she says you see a lot, doctor. But are you strong enough to point that high-powered perception at yourself? What about it? Why don't you, why don't you look at yourself and write down what you see? There is something about that response. One, well, I guess she's a three, so she may be partially feeling repressed. That might, that might allow her to navigate the situation. <laughs> but she's not running out of the room screaming. Right. And. It may be, I'm sure it's the case that in the last decade, uh, he hasn't encountered somebody like this. I right. wonder if he's ever encountered somebody like this. Right. Well, and, and like just in general showing, like she needs to immediately show that she is stronger than he is accusing her of. Mm-hmm. Like if he had done, I'm, I'm sure he did do this to Chilton and Chilton left. Yeah. Like he, <laughs> he won't. Yeah he won't interact with Chilton in a way like this is, this is one of the things about um, bullies in general, but like, like part of their power is that people don't respond to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like part of, part of what Sherlock is looking for. Like this is, this is part of the dynamic with Sherlock and Moriarty is that, that nobody can rise to their level. And and so here here's Hannibal Lecter saying like basically showing her who she is in an incredibly demeaning way, and the fact that she's able to respond without running out of the room crying means that like she she is showing that she may not be as smart as him, but she's not as weak as he thinks she is either. Yeah. He puts the questionnaire back on the in the tray, slams it hard, and then delivers. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. He again is attacking her. He's attacking her accent with how he pronounces Chianti. It's like you again you yokels who drink fancy wines will pronounce it this way mm. right and so it's very condescending and he is threatening her for the first time i have killed people who have done the thing that you have done mm-hmm. and he's doing this he is clearly animated at this point because she has actually won and he then folds the hand He's the one that folds, not her. He says, You fly back to school now, little starting. Fly, fly, fly. It's not her that's leaving the room. He's the one that lost. Hmm. That was my take. Sure, yeah. Um, I think, I, I guess I think the same thing, just in, in softer terms. I think that he, he, he realized that he, like, in, in all of his tests, he's discovered that she is not as weak as he perceived and so like he's that. he's done with the game now oh does he just want weak people 
I I don't think he's. Um, I would guess that he knows that she'll come back. Mm. I'm I'm not going to jump through your hoops, but this game isn't over. I don't think he's he's even remotely interested in filling out her questionnaire. I wonder if this there is something that he processes after. So you all will know the Starling leaves, and then one of the uh, prisoners in one of the other cells does something very nasty. Yeah, makes and something gross. Then Lecter finds an opportunity to call her back. He was the one that disengaged, and then she left, and then he called her back because he wanted to play some, some more. Mm. And that's where... I would not have had that happen to you. This courtesy is unspeakably ugly to me. Then do this test for me. No, but I will make you happy. I'll give you a chance for what you love most. What is that, Doc? Advancement, of course. Listen, Kim. He's pinned her motive Mm -hmm. fairly cleanly if she's in the Enneagram 3. Then he gives her a clue about where to find something about Buffalo Bill. Mm -hmm. This is my least favorite scene in the the movie. Him yelling at her as everything kind of erupts, it feels strange. It feels, it feels like you wouldn't have this kind of a, uh, interaction. It's just all rage. But I think that's what's going on, is he is re-engaging her because he actually sees her quality and this is someone to draw in. That was my take. Hmm. And, and again, like similar, similar, just different wording. Like I, I think this is part of him not being done with the game. Like he's not going to fill yeah. out her questionnaire, but he's not done with the game. He wants her to leave now, but he does want her to come back. So here's the reason she comes back. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Yeah, because because notice that like like Buffalo Bill is a, a background storyline in this whole thing. Yep, she does not go there to get information about Buffalo Bill. She goes there to get a profile on Lecter. To get him to fill out a questionnaire, he yeah, brings this, up Buffalo Bill. What's the story there? Because he knows that that is like what they like. This is this is part of the chess game, and that he sees the full chess game, right? Like Crawford wants to see if he they can get information to help them with the case on Buffalo Bill. Like that's that's the that's the eventual goal. But the reason that she's there that day is to fill out the questionnaire and to establish a relationship so that she can get information from him later. That's true. Does Crawford know that's going to happen? What do you mean? Does Crawford really think it's about Lecter, that we're just going to fill out this, we're going to read this questionnaire and apply it to Buffalo Bill? Or does Crawford think that... Oh, no, I think Crawford is using her as a pawn to try and get information from him later about Buffalo Bill. So, and I go. think that, that Lecter knows that. Okay, there it is. It's just unspoken until yep. Lecter brings it up. Right. And now he is essentially saying to Crawford, I will play this game. No, I'm calling th- her back. I, I think that, that he is more interested in her now. Yeah. So like, like he, he's played this game with her and he wants to keep playing with her. I yeah. don't think he gives a flying crap about Jack Crawford. Okay. Yeah, I like that. But that, yeah, and that, 
But he's using Buffalo Bill as the way to get to play the game mm-hmm. with her. Yep. That's it. I like yep. that. That's good. Uh, fun fact, this is uh, Fava Beans and a nice Keani are, is number 21 on the list of best movie lines by the American Film Institute. Okay. And apparently, when on certain psychiatric meds, there are three foods that you can't have when taking them. Liver, beans, and wine. So this is apparently an inside joke <laughs> to those who take such meds that uh, when Lecter killed the census taker, he wasn't on his meds. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> I thought that was so much fun. All right. So she goes to the self-storage unit. She discovers the body of a decapitated person who a pet we will find out later has a moth in their head. And she goes running back to Dr. Lecter's cell. And we see her again in the basement. And there's a noiseless TV in front of his uh, cell. He's quiet. And she's the one talking. She's trying to get him to engage her. And she's talking to him about the clue that he gave her. And suddenly the food carrier swishes open and makes her jump. And it's the tray, and inside is a folded white towel. And she hesitates, but then goes over, and she takes the towel. Which, TJ, is she supposed to take anything from this character? Not ever. It's one of the big rules. Don't get close to the glass. Don't take anything that he ever passes to you, ever. He's got superpowers. Your bleeding has stopped. And he's referring to an injury that she had on her leg. How did you? Nothing. It's just a scratch. Dr. Lecter, whose head is in that bottle? Why don't you ask me about Buffalo Bill? Do you know something about him? I might if I saw the case file. You could get that for me. Why don't we talk about Miss Moffat? The person whose corpse she discovered. You wanted me to find him? His real name is Benjamin Raspell, a former patient of mine whose romantic attachments ran to, shall we say, the exotic. I did not kill him, I assure you, merely tucked him away very much as I found him after he'd missed three appointments. If you didn't kill him, then who did, sir? Who can say? Best thing for him, really. His therapy was going nowhere. (laughs) Anything we're saying? uh, So fives are the most likely to actually be objective huh fives are in that um in the competency group for solving problems which means they um try to put their feelings aside to solve their problems Mm -hmm. fives are in the that triad with twos and eights relationists yeah the relationists uh where they shut down their inner needs in order to get the thing that they're looking for so this is like we we joke about we joke about threes, sevens, and eights being divorced from their feelings, but this is like this is the kind of comment where it's like this guy is not in touch with like the the way that he talks about his former patient. Like it's a good thing that he died because his therapy was going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like it it is not even a little bit about helping that person. Like it's, it's like, yeah, it's very much about accomplishing something like 
there's a purpose to the therapy. And if the therapy wasn't going anywhere, then that person might as well be dead. <laughs> He's wasting energy on this man. Yeah. And, and like, this is like fives are, like I said, fives are most likely to actually be objective because they are able to separate themselves from their feelings so much. And so they're like, you find a lot of sarcasm in a lot of fives because, mm. because they think that they are talking about facts as they are. And, and this is very much the kind of comment of someone who is not, he's not making commentary here. He's talking about the facts as they are. If this person's therapy was going nowhere with me, then he might as well be dead. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) He mentions that... uh... No, no, I just think of him as a kind of experiment, a fledgling killer's first effort at transformation. And uh, then he moves from Miss Moffat to talking about Clarice again. And here we get into, again, what Lecter wants. How did you feel when you saw him, Clarice? Scared at first, then exhilarated. Again, is is she breaking one of uh, one of the rules here? Yep. Don't ever tell him anything about yourself. Don't want Lecter inside your head, Clarice. <laughs> Jack Crawford is helping your career, isn't he? Apparently, he likes you, and you like him too. I never thought about it. Do you think Jack Crawford wants you sexually? True, he is much older, but. Do you think he visualizes scenarios, exchanges? There is something about, actually, and he pushes further than that, (laughs) but there's something about leverage here when you are talking dirty to someone, and if they go with it, if if she's going to stick around when he's talking dirty to her, it seems like there's a new level of power that he gains. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean there? Well, and, And he's also... I, I think he's also trying to see how far she'll let him go. Mm. Ooh, there's an eight. Yeah. The, where are the boundaries here? Yeah. 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 I'm going to push until I, f- until I hit the wall. Yeah. Like he established, uh, not only like the epitome of politeness asking me, I call you by your first name. And, and so, so we're establishing the terms of our relationship here. And then he brings up this in, like he's incredibly gross about yes. this father figure in her yes. life. Crassness. Is that crass? Is that crass like an eight would be crass? I I think it's for a very different reason. Yeah, I do too. That's yeah. a that's a good way to put that. Clarice says That doesn't interest me, Doctor. Frankly, it's And the, this is a great turn again. She's gonna insult him and then he's gonna show just remember, I'm the one who is powerful and in control here. She says, It's the sort of thing that Miggs would say. Not anymore. Right, because, because we've Lecter convinced Miggs to eat his own tongue. <laughs> he talked a man into committing suicide. Yeah. In his jail cell. Which is like, like this is, um, I, I wanted to bring this up earlier, but I didn't want to tilt towards this event yet but like that's that's one of the reasons that Lecter is so scary is is not because he eats people like the the fact that he's a cannibal is secondary to what makes him a real villain Mm. from the other side of a stone wall (laughs) he is able to convince an insane person 
to eat his own tongue. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Knowledge that allows you to have power. Yeah. And he and he's living in that power yep. that he has acquired. Yep. Lecter says, uh, the lights turn on at this point. Lecter's sitting on the floor. Thank you, Barney. What happened to your drawings? Punishment, you see, for Migs. Just like that gospel program. When you leave, they'll turn the volume way up. Dr. Chilton does enjoy his petty torments. By the way, apparently when you're in hell, you know what you get to watch? <laughs> Televangelists. <laughs> Did you mean by transformation, doctor? And then he moves. I've been in this room for eight years now, Clarice. I know they will never, ever let me out while I'm alive. What I want is a view. I want a window where I can see a tree or even water. I want to be in a federal institution far away from Dr. Chilton. What did you mean by fledgling killer? Are you saying that he's killed again? I'm offering you a psychological profile of Buffalo Bill based on the case evidence. And then he turns and looks at her and he says, I'll help you catch him, Clary. Then she stands. You know who he is, don't you? Tell me who decapitated your patient, Doctor. All good things to those who wait. I've waited, Clarice, but how long can you and old Jackie boy wait? Our little Billy must already be searching for that next special lady. Assets. He has given her reason to think that he has supernatural abilities at uh, understanding the mindsets of serial killers. He has something to offer. He even has firsthand knowledge, potentially, of this person who's killing. Again, it's the case he's, he, has, he has control over his, I want to just use the word again, he has his, his assets, mm-hmm. and he is using them very tactically. Yeah. You got thoughts here? Yeah, these are, he has a certain amount of resources, and he's going to use those resources to get what he wants. Yeah maximizing them too yep and on his terms like he knows that he will never get out of the cell like like he'll he'll play the game he knows he's not going to get out of the cell he just wants to be away from dr chilton we'll -hmm. talk later about how he will probably be able to leverage this to an escape but right (laughs) like like he has definitive information that will allow him to get away from Dr. Chilton and to get himself a view. Yeah. All the while, potentially, yeah, playing that hand of, and if I can just get out of this room, I might be able to get somewhere else. Right. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that. that later. It's fine. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> One thing that he starts doing, and I found this real interesting, is he doesn't talk about the serial killer as Buffalo Bill anymore. He uses the term Little Billy here. Hmm. which again is a power move. I'm not scared of this person. Right. And by the way, Clarice, you shouldn't be scared of this person. Right. He intentionally is devaluing them isn't the wrong word. He's he's taking their power and minimizing it by calling him Billy. Yeah. And even worse, little Billy. It's like this is somebody that we actually can control and we could probably do it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and like like as a five who has gone to eight, he is going to look on someone like Buffalo Bill as 
as someone who is so beneath him because because Buffalo Bill is he's not skilled, he's not civilized, he's not worldly, like he he is he's not even expressing out of a true so like we find out later that that like Buffalo Bill is not a true transvestite. He's 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 sort of pretending to be one. And like all all of the things about Buffalo Bill, he's basically Bush League to to yeah. someone like Hannibal Lecter, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like like he's pretending terrifying to us. This, yeah, like like he's but, doing real damage, but he's 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 basically a a, a pretender to yeah. to the thing that 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 Lecter has perfected. Lecter is an artist. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, and be, because Lecter is not intimidated by him at all. Right. He can use him as a tool. Right. It's like, oh, okay, I can understand this person. They apparently can't, and I'll use him to get what I want. Right. Mm. Cut to Catherine singing American Girl in her van and Buffalo Bill grabbing her. The next scene with Starling and uh, Lecter she comes down into the basement for the third time. And this time Chilton is there saying, I'm not going to just be, you know, a rubber stamp. And Clarice again, navigates that perfectly, moves right past him, approaches the glass. If your profile helps us catch Buffalo Bill in time to save Catherine Martin, the Senator promises you a transfer to the VA hospital at Oneida Park, New York, with a view of the woods nearby. Maximum security still applies, of course. You'd have reasonable access to books. There's a senator's daughter that's been kidnapped. And so now it's now someone important. There's leverage. Right. That's right. He kind of look, has a look of real longing, and they often emphasize his breath mm-hmm. in, the, in the audio, and this is one of those where you like really hear a, a sigh of something might happen, mm-hmm. it seemed to me. Best of all, though, one week of the year, you get to leave the hospital and go here. Plum Island. Every day of that week, you may walk on the beach. You may swim in the ocean for up to one hour under SWAT team surveillance, of course. And there you have it. A copy of the Buffalo Bill case file. A copy of the senator's offer. This offer is non-negotiable and final. Catherine Martin dies, you get nothing. She is standing in this. She's the one that slams the door. She's putting off a vibe of superior strength, and he's sitting on the floor. Right. We find out later that she's lying about all of this. Right. And that she was the one who specifically created the island. But, again, the power dynamics are there. Any any uh, any thoughts, Sarah? I can just keep going. I... Yeah, I, I I don't know that I have anything to add. I I think this is a a really fascinating scene that almost doesn't fit. Mm. Yeah, gets the ball rolling in a certain way. And I will, let's come back to when he when Lecter figure out, figures out that she's lying. Mm-hmm. It might be one of those plants, right? But this gets the ball rolling for Chilton, who we learn later is listening in on their conversation, right? Right. Lecter does does push to get power back. Because he looks at the offer, which is way better than his situation presently, and right. says, Plum Island Animal Disease Research Center. 
Sounds charming. Like, this isn't good enough. Yeah. That's only part of the island. There's very, very nice beach. Terns nest there. There's beautiful... Terns? If I help you, Clarice, it will be terns with us, too. Quid pro quo. I tell you things, you tell me things. Not about this case, though. About yourself. Quid pro quo. Yes, and now, Clarice, poor little Catherine is waiting. I lots to say here. Do you got you got thoughts on how now he is pushing? And I think we start to see a, a clearer glimpse of what he really wants. If this was just about power and control, he's already established that in his mm-hmm. relationship with her. But I think he really want what he really wants from her is to understand her. Yeah. And so we're starting to get to that. So I think that's exactly right, too. Yeah. And I think that's something that you miss the first, well, for me, it was the first 10 times I watched this movie. <laughs> what? Why does he want that? Because I think that's correct, and I think there's a huge payoff if you understand that's what he wants. Because I, th- I think that he's always looking to understand people who he doesn't understand right away. Chilton, you understand who Chilton is in the first meeting with him. Because that guy sucks. Mm -hmm. You understand who someone like Jack Crawford is from the first meeting. You understand Buffalo Bill from the first meeting with him. But but Clarice, she actually offers him something that, like, when you do puzzles for kids that are like nine pieces, you don't even need to see the puzzle fully completed to understand what the puzzle is going to be. And if you're someone who likes puzzles, then it's not really a puzzle. Is there something here where he, as a five, his most primary motive is to is to gain knowledge, um, acquire wisdom about the things in the world that he cares mm-hmm. about? Yeah. He has clearly internalized and memorized details about a beautiful church in Florence because it matters and it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is what life is about. Yeah. And now he has a new cathedral to study in front of him. And that's what he really wants. Clarice represents the the type of person that makes humanity interesting. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. And again, there's just payoffs on that. Good. Clarice says. Go, doctor. What is your worst memory of childhood? Death of my father. Tell me about it and don't lie right now. He was a town marshal and one night he surprised two burglars coming out of the back of a drugstore. They shot him. Was he killed outright? No, he was very strong. He lasted more than a month. My mother died when I was very young, so my father had become the whole world to me. When he left me, I had nothing. I was 10 years old. You're very frank, Clarice. I think it would be quite something to know you in private life. Again, kind of revealing. That I think that's, side. that's, that's the line. That, like, that why is this conversation happening? Because yeah. he's interested in her. Yeah. Not like, not like necessarily in a romantic way. Just she is an interesting person that he wants to get to know. Yeah. I don't think that there's, I think the romantic side is kind of strange on this one. And I was curious for your thoughts, just 
half of me really wants to watch this as a father-daughter movie. Sure. And that's uh, the romance kind of take uh, makes that not a an option. Right. I agree. Yeah, I yeah. don't I don't see romance in this. When he touches her finger later, is that just human connection? Mhm. Yeah. I want to read that as human connection also whereas I think most people read that as No. I I romance. don't see I don't see anything romantic about this relationship. Yeah. I I and I think I honestly don't remember a lot of I read the book so long ago so I don't remember Hannibal and I I didn't even finish the movie Hannibal because Julianne Moore is great but she can't replace Jodie Foster. That's just not right. fair. Um You'll but Academy Award winning Jodie Foster for this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's um if I re- if I am remembering it correctly, it the the fascination of their relationship, it, it's not romantic. Like, that's that's not what this is about. And I don't right. see that happening. Like, there's no real evidence of that anywhere unless you're uh, already assuming romance. So you see two people touching, and you're like, oh, romance. No. Right. True. Quid pro quo, Doc. So tell me about Miss West Virginia. Was she a large girl? Yes. Big through the hips, Romy? They all were. Clarice gets real intense for a second. He's, she's like, oh, he knows. What else? She had an object deliberately inserted into her throat. Now, that hasn't been made public yet. We don't know what it means. Was it a butterfly? <laughs> and Clarice inside is jumping up and down saying, I'm going to get a job when I graduate. Right. Yes, a moth, just like the one we found in Benjamin Raspail's head an hour ago. Why does he place them there, Doctor? The significance of the moth is change. Caterpillar into chrysalis or pupa, and from thence into beauty. Our belly wants to change, too. Again, he's Billy, gives her confidence. You got this. It's just a little boy that you need to hunt down. She shows her acumen here. There's no correlation in the literature between transsexualism and violence. Transsexuals are very passive. Clever girl. You're so close to the way you're going to catch him. Do you realize that? No. Tell me why. So she's there. She's got this. Success is right before the, before her. And Lecter has all the leverage he needs, I think, at this point. Right. He gave her all all she needs to be on the hook. Yeah. And then he says, he gives her the answer. No, he doesn't. After your father's murder, you were orphaned. What happened next? And she drops her head. She was all amped up. I don't imagine the answer is on those second-rate shoes, Clarice. I went to live with my mother's cousin and her husband in Montana. They had a ranch. Was it a cattle ranch? Sheep and horses. How long did you live there? Two months. Why so briefly? I ran away. Why, Clarice? Did the rancher make you perform fellatio? Did he sodomize you? Again, control through talking dirty. Or at least, what, what is that? It's like he's pushing depthier. That's what it is. He's pushing deeper than he knows her response is going to be so that he's creating space for her authentic response. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know that 
there isn't really anything on her that communicates that she was assaulted as a, as a little mm-hmm. girl, but he keeps asking her questions about that. Mm-hmm. So I would guess that he's pushing too far so that she'll respond in a certain way. There's something about some comedians that come out on stage and tell their absolute crassest joke right up front. Right. And then dial it back. Right. And it's like, I've created the space for you to to hear the worst possible thing and everything mm-hmm. else will allow you to have space to, to laugh at, at the places I want to go. Right. I think that's what's going on here. Or if if he is legitimately not knowing, then then he's putting it out there. So that if she has to admit it, it's already been said. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Ah, that's a, see, that's fascinating. No, he was a very decent man. Quid pro quo, doctor. Billy is not a real transsexual, but he thinks he is. He tries to be. He's tried to be a lot of things, I expect. This is a, it, it's not going to come across in our audio, but if you, when watching the movie, this is where. The shot is of Clarice's face and Lecter's face is reflected in the glass and he looks very predatory. Mm-hmm. Even though he's clearly helping her. He's he's animated and in this and their faces are nearly touching, you right. know, in the visual. Right. And you said that I was very close to the way we would catch him. What did you mean, Doctor? There are three major centers for transsexual surgery. Johns Hopkins, University of Minnesota, and Columbus Medical Center. I wouldn't be surprised if Billy had applied for sex reassignment at one or all of them and been rejected. On what basis would they reject him? Look for severe childhood disturbances associated with violence. Our Billy wasn't born a criminal, Clarice. He was made one through years of systematic abuse. Billy hates his own identity, you see, and he thinks that makes him a transsexual. But his pathology is a thousand times more savage and more terrifying. Any thoughts on that? Back to the, like, five using information, like, like the, the way that he's using his resources here. Like, he knows this guy's name. <laughs> yeah. Like, he knows everything that he needs to know, that they need to know about him to be able to just, like, find him right away. Mm. Yep. He knows his name, and yet here he is giving her clues. Like, like yeah. again, this is like the um, faculty advisor leading the grad student to the conclusion that they need to get to on their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this is, is very much a... Like the way that he's utilizing his information. And and it is partly about control here because he needs to keep leverage so that he can get what he wants. But he's also like this is part of his fascination with her is that he wants to help her figure it out because he mm-hmm. is interested in her as a human being. Love it. He's not just giving the answer. Right. He's showing his work. Right. And, and, and giving her pieces so that she can figure out the answer. Yep. And what's real interesting, and uh, does Lecter know this, is that he's not just giving it to Clarice. He's giving it to Chilton, who's listening. Mm-hmm. And that becomes the next kind of clip, is Chilton is 
taking down notes as they're talking. Chilton has power and is able to get in touch with the senator. They've never heard of this deal that was made for Plum Island. But Chilton gets Lecter all dressed up, puts a mask on him um, made of wire. Um, three masks in this movie, by the way, which we'll talk about. But this is the first, and it, it constrains Lecter from being able to bite him, I'm sure. And uh, I'd be curious if there's not a... I'm trying to get as many plays out there as I can. You know what I mean? For who? For Lecter. Lecter being observational, super-powered individual mm-hmm. may know that Chilton's listening, and it's just one more person that he is manipulating toward his own ends and he succeeds. Totally possible. I don't, there's no indication that he knows that Chilton is listening, mm-hmm. but when Chilton essentially betrays Clarice, Lecter will use that to his advantage. Yeah. That's worth, that's, it's worth watching with, yeah. with both those in mind. Yeah. Like uh, does Lecter know Chilton's listening? Cause when, cause Chilton clearly reveals he's listening cause he has him strapped down and, all Chilton wants is the answer to the math problem. He keeps saying, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Right. And then Lecter, knowing that he has leverage, says his name is Lewis. I'll tell you the rest once we're in Tennessee. Because all he wants to do is get out of the basement. Right. <laughs> he wants right. to get out of hell. And he's making a deal with the devil to get him out of hell. Oh, it's a deal with the devil. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's playing Chilton, though. Like, the whole time he's playing Chilton. Like Chilton, he knows that Chilton will. So, so here's here's one of the things. If if this was happening with Jack Crawford or Chilton instead of Clarice, they would have gotten no information from him. Yep, he's trying to. Yep. Help, Lecter is trying to help Clarice figure out this the solution to this puzzle, and then when Chilton takes advantage of that fact, Lecter will now use what Chilton already knows, which is nothing. Because Chilton can't yeah. figure out the puzzle, right? To to advance Lecter's position, yeah. But Lecter also go ahead. But even like the fact that he knows his name leads them in the wrong direction. So like like Lecter all along is helping Clarice get there, and even giving Chilton exactly what Chilton is looking for, like giving them the answer leads them in the wrong direction, right? Is that where? When they're breaking down the door in another town. Right. So yeah, fast forwarding some. Like he he says the name of like Buffalo Bill's actual name. Yeah. Is Lewis and, some And so they're they're in a completely different town while she's knocking on the door of the actual serial killer. Right. Because Lecter knows that you have to figure out the puzzle in order to get the to get the real answer. If you right. just if you just look ahead and look at what the answer is, you don't have the full picture. Yeah, and you're going to be wrong. We'll come back to that when she starts talking about fool's gold, because um, mm-hmm. he's 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 made up a little word puzzle for fun, right? But Chilton doesn't know it. Chilton's not crafty enough, right? And Lecter's clearly playing Chilton, and Chilton gives him exactly what he wants and says, "Clean him up, get him ready to go." I do love the the image here of being clean. Yeah. Um, it's an image we'll see a couple times and hear him, the movement of Le- Lecter first. It's not just put him on a plane. It's clean him up and get him ready to go. Yeah. And this, it's, it's worth just putting that in the back, in your back pocket. 
Next time we see Lecter, he is in front of a senator. And Chilton is displaying his trophy, his most, what was it, prized asset? Senator Martin, Dr. Hannibal Lecter. And this time he has a different mask on. Um, this is the famous mask made out of leather and with the three bars in front of the, the mouth. Right. You got thoughts on this mask, by the way? But it's it's just a really great it's 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 like super terrifying because all yeah. you all you can see is his eyes. In Anthony Hopkins, apparently his eyes are terrifying. <laughs> right. <laughs> Martin says Dr. Lecter. I brought an affidavit guaranteeing your new rights. You want to read it before I sign. If we've watched Game of Thrones, we know that paper shields never work. Lecter knows this. Yeah. I won't waste your time or Catherine's time bargaining for petty privileges. Clarice Starling and that awful Jack Crawford have wasted far too much time already. I only pray they haven't doomed the poor girl. That is, he is pushing, he has an enemy He's like, we have this common enemy, these people who are buffoons who aren't doing their job right. He says, let me help you now, and I'll trust you when this is all over. I think he he's says pitting you. them against each other. Yeah. I, I don't think he likes Crawford at all. I yeah. think he's still on Starling's side. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and, and he's basically setting himself up as saying, like, these are the, these are the ones that are the real enemy, yep. not me. There is something about... Uh, the person who knows who is not trustworthy and can say it in an articulate, informed way mm -hmm. that has true power in politics. Yeah. You know who you really need to look out for is these people over there. They're the ones who will sabotage all your programs. Right. If, if you have, the, if you have the, the whisperer, it's Merlin. Again, it's evil Merlin. Right. <laughs> if, you have evil, if you have a Merlin whispering in your ear... You know what to do. And he's, yeah, I think you're exactly right, though. They're pit he's pitting these two forces against each other. It's a good villainous tactic. Right. Trust me, because the person you really shouldn't trust is over there. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Buffalo Bill's real name is Louis Friend. I met him just once. He was referred to me in April or May 1980 by my patient Benjamin Raspell. They were lovers, you see. But Raspell had become very frightened. Apparently, Lewis had murdered a transient and done things with the skin. We need his address and a physical description. Tell me, Senator. Then there's a turn. Real turn. Yeah. <laughs> Did you nurse Catherine yourself? What? Did you breastfeed her? Now, wait a minute. Yes, I did. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Oh, son of a bitch. Amputate a man's leg and he can still feel it tickling. Tell me, Mom, when your little girl is on the slab, where will it tickle you? Take this thing back to Baltimore. Again, we could talk for a while about that air change. Yeah. What do you see there? Well, I <laughs> here's here's Lecter. So so imagine this question like two years deep into psychiatry practice mm -hmm. like like if Lecter was senator martin's psychiatrist and had asked mm -hmm. this question after like well into establishing a relationship like there's this is a real question to be asked in the midst of real connection okay yeah but 
but Lecter is skipping all of that <laughs> because he doesn't <laughs> care. <laughs> and and he is doing it to get a reaction. Like he's he's he's, he's totally pushing reaction. Yeah. The this is the the thing that hit me was this is the move to the low side of eight. He doesn't have control here. He's the one person who has absolutely no freedom in this situation. The one thing, the one place that he can find leverage and control is again through his intellect and pushing into that because he wants to have that power Mm -hmm. is by bringing up this very intimate image that you can't say in polite society. Right. In order to gain, and everybody knows that he has power at that moment. Right. That was my take on it. And like, think about the way that he did this with Clarice before. And the mm-hmm. way that she turned it and sort of yes. gave it back to him, yes, like, like she she's she she sparred with him, which yeah. showed that like like I I don't know that he necessarily thinks that he doesn't have power in this moment. Like he's strapped to a dolly and lit and physically can't move, but yeah. he's still the smartest person in the room. Yep. And remember before what they said when he attacked that guard, his pulse never rose above 85. Yeah. Like this isn't a man that gets angry and bursts out. Yeah. He, he, I think he has control in this and he's trying to figure out who his adversary is. Is Senator Martin someone that he can spar with? And so he's going to push her. And then she responds exactly the way that anyone like her would respond. And yep. shows him that she is not worth his time. That's it. Yeah. It's a boundary pushing for AIDS, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to test what's out there aggressively. Mm-hmm. And and who's in control? He might be strapped to a gurney. Like he might be strapped to a dolly in this moment and and unable to physically move, but he still has power over her. And now yeah. he knows that. Love that image of he is testing, he tests the quality of two women in this movie. And one of them hits back hard in the way that he he wants to engage more. And then she just says, take him back to Baltimore, which is not good for Lecter. And and she diminishes him to the status of non-human again. Yeah. And that's, I want to talk about that here in two seconds, because I think that's, that's the line. But when he says send her back to Baltimore, Lecter immediately says, Five foot ten, strongly built, about 180 pounds. Hair blonde, eyes pale blue. He'd be about 35 now. He said he lived in Philadelphia, but may have lied. That's all I can remember, Mom. But if I think of any more, I will let you know. Take this thing back to Baltimore. They just made a huge point. The senator was on TV in an earlier scene. Mm-hmm. saying Catherine's a beautiful girl, just mm-hmm. talk to her, you'll find out. Humanizing, humanizing, humanizing. Yeah. And Say they her name even, over and over again in order to humanize her. And they even point out, they deconstruct the senator's news conference right? and say, look how smart this is that she is humanizing this person with her language. Right. And here she does the exact opposite. Right. Take this thing back to Baltimore is, is an equal and opposite move. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's just going to be a that's going to be a core thing in this in this movie. Yeah, and and I, again, I think it 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 shows Lecter who he's dealing with. Yeah, like he he knows more about her 
from her saying that now. Yes. And yeah, and how to control her in the places that he can. Mm-hmm. Is that what the last line is about? Because the last line always, I know people love this last line, and it always hits me wrong. Oh, and Senator, just one more thing. Love your suit. And that always hits me strangely. And I'll tell you why it hits me strangely. It just feels like a non sequitur. But if it's the case that he is reestablishing power here, that that might be interesting. Go ahead. Well, think? and and I, it it's part of his game. Like we said, the his his pulse doesn't rise when he's killing, because this isn't like killing isn't like isn't a passion for him. Like he's all about manners and civil and civility, and except when he's saying really gross things, and like he's in control at all times because he's smarter than everyone else. And he, in a way, is is sort of like looking down on everyone else in that from that position. Mm-hmm. And that line to me is him. I don't I don't know if he's reminding them, but it's it's a, at least a reminder for the audience that he's not invested in this moment at all. Oh, how so? You know, like like the what this is for him is an opportunity for him to manipulate them into getting his moment of opportunity. Yeah. He doesn't so, care about this girl. He doesn't care about the senator. He doesn't care about helping them. He doesn't care about anything that's ha- like the the thing that they're doing. He doesn't. He's not invested in the life mm-hmm. of this girl at all Mm -hmm. and it's at least a reminder to us the audience that he's not invested by by saying love your suit because it's it's flippant or it's dismissive it it doesn't matter like that's that's how much he cares about the the seriousness of what's going on by the way i love your suit oh sure there it is it's that's good it's the seriousness of it and i realize your daughter might die but by the way just so you know i love your suit yes oh it's good i like that is that a dehumanizing move you're you're just a you're just a suit could be could be him sort of like turning it back on her yeah so like if you're gonna treat me like a thing i'll show you the kind of thing that i am you also are not human in my eyes. Woo. God, I like that. See, that makes more sense in terms of the things I want to say about the big idea here about humanization and dehumanization. Um, there's another line, but when Buffalo Bill is standing over the, uh, you know, the pen, what do you call that? The hole. It's a well. Yeah, there you go. That Catherine's in and he's saying it puts the lotion on its skin. It mm-hmm. does it when it's told. And there's the pronoun use. Yeah. Of it is all over that. Yep. Um, The next big scene, I'm going to argue, is the emotional climax of this movie, and it's going to be the opposite kind of move, and it's it's going to be Clary's humanizing lecture, and I think the the Enneagram Five is going to know it. Mm -hmm. And if you would like to listen to that episode, you'll have to come in, tune in next time. Because this is a great place for us to just park for a second, and uh, before we sign off, uh, you got last words on on this scene and where we're at. No, I think we save it all for next time. 
There is, I have so much to say about the end of this movie. I'm so excited. Okay, so. Hey, it would mean the world to us if you would pause, take two seconds, and write us a brief review and give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. You can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org. Shout outs on the Twitter and Instagram are always appreciated, but the best thing you can do is share this episode with somebody you love, preferably somebody who's searching to track down and incarcerate a serial killer. <laughs> Music is by The Collection out of Greensboro, North Carolina, and Tim Coons from right here in Greeley. Hey, DJ, you got anything else? I got nothing, man. He's CJ Wilson. He is officially awesome, and I'm Jeff Cook, and who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, because that's where the gold is. <laughs>